Hey, podcast family. Welcome to Motherhood in Black and White. I'm Kanji. I'm Tara. And this week, we will be joined by Sarah Durham, a creative and an educator who is going to walk us through some conversations with our kids and give us some strategies on how we can deal with and how we can parent neurodivergent kids. Sometimes we question, like, do our kids think differently than us? Is something wrong with them? No, oh, I think about that all the time with my kids. It's you know, evident. <laughs> it, and our kids, some of them do think differently than yeah. we do. And just because they think and process information differently doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. And I didn't know this, Tara, but a statistic was released that shared that one in five children have variations in brain development. And those variations can include ADHD, hyperactivity, dyslexia, and all of these fall under the umbrella of neurodivergence. So we have brought in Sarah to talk to us a little bit more about what we can do if our children are neurodiverse. Yeah, I'm excited about this. And will you tell us a little bit more about Sarah before we bring her to the Of course, of course. So Sarah is a coach and a creative, and she's invested in people's stories. Her passion around the needs of students is informed by her own experiences as a neurodivergent student a mother to three neurodivergent children, and her decade-plus career in education. Her last six years in the classroom were exclusively devoted to neurodivergent thinkers working as a gifted and talented specialist. She has a deep commitment to see the unseen. That fuels her mission to normalize the variety of ways in which we can move successfully in the world and to empower young people to cultivate lives that work for them. I'm really excited to talk to her today because I saw a lot in her work that I'm ready to get into. Yes, and I will share with you that Sarah is probably the one female that my child wishes were his mother. (laughs) His chosen mom. Yeah, his mom of choice. So Sarah came into our world a few years ago. She was Roman's gifted and talented teacher in sixth grade. Okay. And just recently, actually today when we were recording this episode, it is on a weekday. And Roman emailed me at the very beginning of the school day, begging me not to pick him up early for his orthodontist appointment because he said, mom, um, Miss Durham is going to be subbing today and I don't want to leave school early. And at this point, I was like, what has possessed my child? (laughs) He didn't want to leave school early. I said, this Sarah Durham is doing some magic wonders on my child to make him want to stay at school all day. I can't think of one teacher that my kid would want to stay at school for. This is the one. (laughs) So Sarah, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I am so thrilled to have this opportunity to chat with you and to welcome you into our podcast family. Now, I know a little bit about you. We would love it if you tell us a little bit about yourself. The most telling things I think about me are I am the eldest girl of five children. I grew up mostly in this area. We were transplants, but we've been here long enough to where I'd have to kind of claim it. I have three kids two boys and one girl, a girl at six, and then I have 10 and 23. <laughs> I've raised a whole human. Well, actually, you don't really ever get done raising them, but yeah. Wow. And so, and I've taught in Frisco ISD for about 12 years up until last year was my last year. And now I am coaching students with who are struggling academics or life or social type struggles. I illustrate, I write. And I guess probably at the heart of everything is I just have this passion for people's stories. So whether I'm doing art or I'm coaching or I'm writing, 
I love people's stories. I feel like they matter so much and how we move in the world matters so much. So that's kind of the heart of me and my values and just whatever I put my hands into. I love that. And I know you mentioned you started a coaching business and that's Caddy Wampus. Caddy Wampus. Yes. Will you tell us a little bit about that and why you started that? Sure. I mean, do you want to know about the name or just the coaching thing? Or- All of the above. Okay. So catawampus is a word. It's It means kind of out of kilter, kind of wonky, or just kind of off, just a little bit. And my mom growing up used to use that word all the time. She said cattywampus. And she oh, that's cattywampus. And it was kind of a lighthearted, like, it's just a little bit off kind of a thing. So I actually thought my mom invented this word, to be honest, until, <laughs> not until last year, but like years and years ago. I mean, I think when I went into college, I was like, oh, wow, my mom didn't invent that word. But so it was kind of this kind of funky, strange word. And it was the word I thought about when I made the decision to leave education as far as the classroom goes and move into this like new, like second half of my life, I guess. And was thinking about who I wanted to show up as and what parts I wanted to own, I guess, a little bit more and what parts I wanted to kind of leave back that didn't serve me anymore. And this word just kept coming up in my mind. And it's kind of the umbrella over everything as far as my coaching, my writing, illustrating, because it's me. You know, it was kind of this line in the sand, the second part of my life of like, you know what, I've spent a lot of my life not completely feeling like I ever fit in pretending I kind of fit in. And I think people that know me or know me at least peripherally would be surprised by that. But I'm neurodivergent. I'm twice exceptional. You know, I mean, I think you know, in that kind of growing up experience, you don't always fully feel totally connected to your peers. And so I just feel beautiful in that now. I just feel like I want to completely own it because I actually believe that. And I just felt like in that dreaming stage, I wanted to both honor my mother and kind of bring a little piece of her in because I lost her when she was 55. So she was really young. And I wanted to kind of like honor that kind of relationship with her and her kind of funny quirkiness. And then just this idea of, yeah, I don't totally look and move the way everybody else does, but I'm okay with that. And I want other people to be okay with that too. So I started writing, illustrating, kind of healing and resting, taking care of my littles um, last year and kind of getting them out of virtual and into the classroom again. And then I thought, okay, how am I going to fold these kiddos back into my life? Because I love them. They love you so much, Sarah. Thank you. When you stepped away from the classroom, I picked Roman up from school that afternoon and he was literally in tears. And he said, mom, Miss Durham is leaving. And I like that you shared how special Caddy Wampus is and your feeling of maybe being a little bit wonky, because I think that's what makes you connect so well with the middle school age children, with the adolescent population, because you get it, you get them. And that comes across your caring and the way that you make them feel that they matter. So on my behalf, I just wanted to say on behalf of me and my husband, thank you for making sure that our son knows and knew that he mattered. Oh, I love that. You know, I I'm always surprised when people say they don't really fit with middle school because I feel like that is the sweet spot. I really like middle schoolers and I like high schoolers and all that too, but there is something very special about this kind of awareness they start having in that age 
about how they fit in, where they don't fit in, those gaps of where they think they should be and where other people think they should be start to kind of get bigger. And there just is a lot of kind of flailing around and figuring out who you are. And of course, we keep doing that, right? But I feel like going from elementary to middle, there's really no um, preparing them for that. (laughs) We tried when I was in elementary school, we tried. It's like a culture shock. And there's just developmentally, they're changing physiologically, they're changing all those things. So, but yeah, that's been the kind of common feedback I get from them was like, you just get us, you just get us. And I'm happy to be that person because I don't feel like we ever completely outgrow that, but maybe that is just me. Could just be me. No, it's not just you. You're on, <laughs> you're talking to two formerly middle school yeah. women who are like middle aged, but also still middle school 100%, in mentality. 100%. Yes. <laughs> like we, yeah. we got stuck there. But when you were talking about how there is this change from elementary school to middle school, that's exactly where Tara is this year. So mm-hmm. her son is in sixth grade. Oh. And so maybe you can kind of give her some strategies on how to negotiate and navigate this um, new season that her son gauges in? Oh my goodness. Okay. So like I said, there's no way to prepare fifth to sixth grade. I watched the sweet elementary school teachers. I was one of them try to make them, you know, change classes and do all these different things. I just don't think you can do it because it's like they go to school and they start holding space for seven different bosses, eight different locations, different personalities, classes, expectations. You have seven or eight different bosses with different outlines of what they expect, different people in there. And it is just a lot for their brains to hold. So that's the first thing is really, you know, without being in the classroom, I can just say it is very, very challenging for them. I would say the number one thing I would always tell sixth grade parents is to let them struggle. This first semester, this first few months is all about struggle. And I'm a big fan of struggle and they're going to struggle, but they are going to be rock stars. Most of them by the end of the school year, it's really cool to watch them just really grow over the year. But this first part, a lot of it is those kind of organic opportunities that you get when you're struggling and, and trying to figure things out. And they are with people that are, you know, going along and doing the same thing. That first nine weeks, I always always tell parents, just maybe not contact me. Let's just, (laughs) there's going to be tears. Yeah. Okay. I would tell them, nobody needs to be crying on the weekend. If they get out there on the weekend and they're crying because they have to do something for me, I can only speak for myself shut the Chromebook or whatever they're working on. It does not need to be done over the weekend. They need to be resting and they can come talk to me. So it's all about teaching them how to advocate, which is so, so, so challenging for them, but just making sure that you're communicating with them that the things that the teachers are telling you that are available, right? The tutorials, going and talking to them, emailing them, things like that. But I would just say this first you know, nine weeks or so is just It's really challenging for them. And it's okay. And they are growing muscles and they are going to figure things out. And it's okay if their their grades drop. I I will speak as a as a a GT teacher. Most of the students would come in and they would say, Well, I made A's with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back. And I would say, Well, 
that's wonderful, but that's elementary school. And when you think about going into this new location with all of these different teachers and these different expectations, right there, that's going to tax your executive function, maybe to the max. And then they're supposed to learn and retain information on top of that. There just has to be this wiggle room and adjustment for their brains to start assimilating just the basic logistics of the switching schedules and getting to know the teachers and and their place there. So giving them just grace and wiggle room and talking to them in that first nine weeks or so. And then if it gets to where, I mean, if they're failing all of their classes and things like that, that's obviously beyond just the normal struggles. But it's just growing pains. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but. No, it's very helpful. I feel like, you know, we've tried to do that. I absolutely recognize a lot of what you're talking about and what we've done in this first nine weeks. I am curious, though, in looking into Cattywampus and, and where you primarily focus, I know that you work with a lot of different teenagers, but you are focused sort of in the neurodivergent space. So I'm curious for parents that have kids that, maybe they suspect or they're wondering, are there any ways that a parent can look for signs of or find out if their kids are neurodivergent in that way? Well, neurodivergent is a huge umbrella. So under that is, you know, there's giftedness, there's autism, there's ADHD, dysgraphia, dyslexia, even trauma, CPTSD, you know, those things change your brain in ways that would classify someone to be neurodivergent. So there's, it's a huge umbrella if your child had this time to adjust and like you give them the full nine weeks and they're in sixth grade or whatever. And then you're seeing as they're kind of having to level up into this like kind of new transition, this new, new, like kind of way of being and a new grade level, those gaps start becoming more apparent or those needs start becoming more apparent because obviously they have to show up and do more and be more. You know, those executive functioning skills like organization, working memory, regulating emotions. I can give you an example, just even with my own daughter who's in first grade. She has not been identified as anything. I have two twice exceptional children. So chances are there's going to be something there, right? We gave her some time to adjust because she's little and we are still seeing that at nighttime when she comes home, she's having complete meltdowns at the end of the day with talking to her teachers. She's like the perfect student. I'm like, my daughter is the perfect student. She got an award for self-control. And then she comes home and she has nothing left. And I'm thinking, okay, so she is holding in all of these different things when she's there. And that taxes your executive function. So one of the things we're looking at with her is you know, how is she coming home and adjusting to that transition? How much time, how consistent is that happening? Really having those questions in middle school and high school with your students. And you can start, if you understand a little bit about even just executive function, you can start kind of seeing those things. Now, everyone develops at a different speed. And at this age, you know, some will be a little bit ahead of others, but you'll start seeing these different things that they cannot get organized they can't remember their assignments consistently. At the end of the day, they're having emotional meltdowns and they can't get their stuff done. They can't remember what their teacher told them. Then you're starting getting something, okay, this might be a little bit out of like the neurotypical zone. And we might need to start asking the teacher some questions. 
you can get evaluated. Your child can get evaluated through the district. Mm-hmm. You guys can initiate that. You can go to your pediatrician and talk to them. They can initiate that. And then questionnaires and all that stuff will start coming out. And then you can start working towards something. I will say, though, that sometimes one of you guys had mentioned about suspecting. I don't even know that you even have to know or have a specific diagnosis to like put your line in the sand and say, my kid's struggling with this, these kind of neurodivergent like things. And you can still work in that space without having a diagnosis. You may not be able to get accommodations at school, but you can start working and coaching students who just self-identify as these things. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think one of the concerns that some people in in our age group, Tara and Sarah, have is if our children kind of think differently or behave differently than us, it's a question of are they neurodivergent or are they just lazy? You know, <laughs> or you know, they just don't want to listen. Or they to just us. don't want to listen to us, right? And I think that a lot of it comes from our experiences yeah. of children and how new some of these concepts are. And you know, when we were growing up, there was no such thing as someone who was neurodiverse or it wasn't spoken of as much as it is now. And so it needs for us to kind of gain an understanding and take time to learn about this topic and how it could potentially impact our kids. Does that make sense, Sarah? Absolutely. And I think you're just being gifted, right? Just that alone. There's like 12 different profiles under the gifted profile. And so many people don't even understand giftedness. And even if the parent or both parents are gifted and their their child's gifted. A lot of people think, well, that just means that they're really smart and they can do this and they can do that. But there's so many layers to gifted and talented students that involve things that like executive function struggles, social struggles, all of these different things. And they still have to learn like everybody else. So really, if your child has been labeled something, do a deep dive on that. Another thing I'll say too is you were just talking about, you know, us growing up and that kind of just reminded me when you're talking about your kids struggling, if I had one or two things I would say to parents, if you're interested. Oh, definitely. Say more. (laughs) (laughs) And this is probably going to be counter maybe or not something maybe you hear often, but it could be, I'm not sure. I think if you really want to help strategize or partner with your kids, first of all, partner is a real important term there, is to get to the heart of the struggle, like really like kind of what's going on. Because listen, parents, especially if teens are just putting clues and like things together, trying to figure out a full picture of what's happening. Right. It's a puzzle. Yes. It is. The peanut butter and jelly sandwich is stuck to the assignment due last week in the backpack. You know, you're like, I I think something's a problem here or they're whatever. And so you're putting these clues together to get to the heart of struggle. You have to really attune to your kids. I think first showing up and thinking from the framework of like, my kid is good. If something is going awry and they are struggling and I'm not using my measuring stick, right? Like just a grade or something like that. But like, it is obvious that there are some struggles going on Mm -hmm. to tune to them and hold space for those answers for them. One, you have to do your own work and you have to understand your own story and make sure your story isn't mixed up in theirs, especially if you're a neurodivergent, because there's just a lot of unmet needs like you were speaking to back in the day Mm -hmm. where people were kind of left to their own devices and they kind of had to figure things out. And well, I did it. And we just have more resources now and more knowledge. So making sure that they are struggling, that their measuring stick is doing okay for the most part. 
and finding out really what is the problem, you got to be able to have those conversations with them, right? And the only way to do that is to make sure that you are attuning to them and that you are holding space for what their answers are and believing them. And then also the degree to which students I've noticed are willing to show up and tell you and be honest with you, even as a parent, when it comes to struggles and help is going to be to the degree in which they see that modeled through you. So if you are perfect and you're killing it at everything and you come every once in a while, I have this kind of like side conversation where you're like, so I noticed this and blah, blah, blah. You know, my students are vulnerable with me because I am extremely transparent with my mistakes, with my imperfections and showing up. I apologize. I model those things for them. And so they tell me the truth when I go and I talk to them. Same with my own children. It's just one of those things. And I had to learn that the hard way. I mean, this is not like, oh, I'm some magic mom. I mean, I, I raised a whole human and made tons of mistakes. We have to model that. And it's not just showing up in one or two conversations and saying, you know, I remember back in 1995, I had a problem with something. You know what I did? I got some extra help for it. You know, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be right. like just those little side nuggets, right? Like, oh man, this happened. And, and not really telling, but just walking alongside and modeling those things so that you can prime them, right? For these kinds of conversations. So it's interesting. It kind of leads to the next question for me, I guess. Kanji was mentioning, obviously, we grew up in a different era. And I think when I was young, the only thing I remembered that there was an option for was ADD. It wasn't ADHD at the time. That was the only thing. If you had anything where you couldn't learn or you couldn't do work, it obviously had to be ADD. <laughs> and I really like what you're sharing about how we have to change the way we look at those things. And we have to look at our own stories to kind of help be a partner for our kids. So for those parents that are maybe at the very beginning of that, but their kids need help now, is that where you find your coaching to be helpful as a, an option for them as another trusted adult they can be vulnerable with? Yeah. The great thing about coaching is that a lot of times what happens in these different dynamics with students and their parents is that the student is struggling admittedly or not, but there's lots of struggles. Everyone kind of sees it, right? And then, you know, in some way, and the parents are offering solutions. They may or may not understand the context of what it's like to be in the classroom. Most do not. Even if you think you know, it's a lot unless you've actually, you know, taught in the classroom. And I would say even recently, that's one of the reasons why I sub here and there is so that I can stay on top of kind of what's going on right now because things are changing all the time. Yeah. And then of course to visit my kids too. <laughs> of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. clearly. <laughs> At the same time, like these teens, you're starting to see where they're having to kind of level up in these different ways and figure out how to make life work for them in different ways. You start seeing the gaps and all that. They also have this incredible need for autonomy. Mm. <laughs> you know, they want agency and sometimes it just can't be the parent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it just can't be the parent. And I think sometimes parents will get concerned because they're thinking like, but I am a trusted person. I want my, my child to be able to come to me. And they can, if you learn to partner with them and help them empower their own voice as distinct from yours. And that can be kind of scary for parents because there's a letting go there that, that can feel scary. But here's what I want to say about that, that I think you won't find comforting. When your child develops self-trust and you empower their voice and they start 
seeing themselves as the expert of them and start digging in inside of them like, oh, I do have a resource here. Oh, I do know how to do that. Oh, I do know who to ask about that. And they start developing that self-confidence from that is it also distinguishes their voice from their peers. So it's not that you're just like, okay, I've got this. They're not going to be listening to me. They, they are, you know, they, they always come back. You're always going to be in their minds, but in those, you know, immediate type interventions or extra support type help, one, I have the context. I know actually what's going on in the classroom. And then also two, I am a trusted adult who is not their parent who they can believe wants them to feel empowered. It's not that I think a lot of students may not believe that, but let's be honest, we haven't given them a lot of practice up to this point, right? Because they're just growing up just now. Yeah. 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 But I think the idea of having a coach for a teen or a college student is something that is very new. Mm. When I heard that this is a service that you were offering, I really reflected and thought, and questioned whether I'd ever heard of it before. You know, I looked into potential therapists for Roman, but never a coach. And I like the fact that you are a trusted advisor and I like that coaching relationship. So Sarah, could you just tell us a little bit about how an individual coaching session with you works and also some of the consultations you have for supportive people, either parents or guardians of these teens or college students? The biggest job for a coach is, or the most important job is to hold space. It's to hold space for a safe, trusted space for them to really hear what's going on in their inner world, how they're really feeling kind of outside of like the chaos or the expectations or what all of the different demands come from the world. And just even connecting to that voice is a really important tool for them. So that is part of coaching. And then also there is helping them through different ways of setting up what they feel like they need to work on. So it's putting them in the driver's seat. And I'll be honest, teenagers, they know. They may not know why they struggle in a certain way, but they know where the struggles are and where in this general area they need extra support. And then of course, we help hold them gently accountable to to action and things like that. So for a session, a lot of times the student is going to pick the topic. Sometimes it takes a little time and just practice of them feeling the empowerment to pick the topic of like the thing that they really feel like they need to work on or they want to work on or they want to bring up and talk about. Usually it's an area of struggle. And so a lot of times it's about me holding space and asking the right questions to help them see that they actually know a lot more about themselves and their situation than they might have been in tune with because there's just a lot of voices and a lot of different things going on. And when they see those dots connect and they start seeing, oh, wow, I did know that. I do know how to ask that. It's all of these different like things that they're developing inside of them for the next time, knowing that they can do that. So there's time spent talking about where they're sharing, I'm asking questions, I'm allowing. And then we start with them, you know, talking about what are their possible resources. And of course, there's always, because I have a lot of different experience with different things, sometimes they'll ask me, well, do you have any ideas for this? I mean, I feel like I've tried this one thing and then I can 
offer, right? Those different things, but it's really them driving. And it's just kind of like this old adage of like self-esteem. We can't hand our kids self-esteem. We can't hand them self-confidence. They have to build that through what they're doing. Coaching is like a one-on-one practice of that building that self-trust, that self-confidence through talking and this, this coaching and allowing. And so they come back, they have like their action that they've set up that they're going to do. And then the next session we talk about and we reflect, like, how did that work? What did you learn about yourself? What can you take away? And if it didn't work, like, what did you notice? You know, those different things, the noticing how they're feeling, the noticing of being in their bodies in school or in a place and connecting with their own voice and those strategies is life-changing. It's life-changing for adults. It's definitely for students because a lot of times they're in those environments and they automatically just panic and they go outside, outside of themselves, right? And they're looking for something because they just are sure that they don't have it within them. The great thing about that is that over time, as they're developing these different tools, is that when they go out into the world beyond high school, college, or wherever, this is what the kind of tools we want our children to have because we won't be there with them at midnight in Austin when they're at UT and they're, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about academics, it's about all of those life things and peer pressure and, and all of that. So, did that answer your question? Yes, okay, absolutely did. And that's what we are looking for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we as parents might not be the voice or the person that our kids want to talk to at the end of the day, because how many times have our kids got into our car and we said, well, how was your day today? What did you do? Nothing. <laughs> you know. And then you find out that they have these full on long conversations with their favorite beloved teacher. <laughs> and Kanji has a resentment. <laughs> not, you see that. <laughs> no, not a resentment, but it's just that it's interesting when you say, oh, well, that's not her experience with my right, son. Right? right, right. I get the one word answers. And I just so you know, Sarah, I have the email where Roman said, Mom, I will legit pay you if I can stay at school today. <laughs> oh, gosh, I love him so much. And that has never happened ever. <laughs> he is paying me to leave school early every day. But um, I think that just is a testament to who you are and how you kind of show up for your kids and how they love you. Well, he is a good egg. I mean, I love that kid. You guys have done a fantastic job with him. And I think that's a really great actually example because the stories and the things that he has told me about you two, I'm like, these are rock star parents. Like they are great. And he feels safe and loved and also needs to cultivate his own voice and has a hard time at this stage, right? Feeling like he can, you know, whatever, say the things that he needs to say in order to get whatever support he needs. That is an absolutely normal experience. Same over here. Okay. But the great thing about a coach is they can stand in the gap and it doesn't replace the parent. Often these conversations will be like, how could you talk to your parent about articulating that need? Let's practice that because sometimes they don't know how to, because you are their most important person and they love you and they don't want to offend or, or, or hurt. And I'm not speaking about Roman, <laughs> but what I'm saying is just that it's, it is truly like an objective person who can hold that space. And I will tell you, 
as a parent myself, the way I can hold space sometimes for my clients is different than for our own children, right? Because they're giving me everything right. they've held in all day yeah. without apology. And I'm like, coaching, yeah. Yeah. you need to go to your coping corner right now. Let's go, let's go to your <laughs> coping corner. And, and I'll meet with you in just a minute. It's hard to get that distance. But what's great about it, and as the supportive parent, if you come and have a session with me like that, is that we can talk about partnering with them. And when you partner with your child, it actually strengthens relationship because the tensions and struggles and the, that are going back and forth that would happen in some of these different things that come up, right? Because I don't want your advice or nothing's wrong. You're like, but I see that something's wrong and all of those different things is that you can show up in some ways that you want to show up that you can't because this thing is kind of hanging over you and you're feeling anxiety about it. And you can learn how to partner with them and you can kind of put some of that work onto me and help them learn how to show up in conversations with you where they feel like they can ask for the things that they need in a way that is honoring to you and to themselves. Yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. And um, you've been, again, so generously your time. And we know that we are recording this at the very end of a long day because you did substitute teach middle schoolers all day. So <laughs> I did. Shout out to you. You need to go to the coping <laughs> That's corner. right. I need to go to the coping corner with a piece of pizza and a cupcake. And like, I just like, yes, I absolutely no judgment from us ever. And I will probably join you there in that coping corner for our <laughs> podcast family that that wants to know a little bit more about the coaching program, can you tell us how they can follow you and more about Caddy Wampus and like what your credentials are, your experience and how people can reach out to you and what's next for Sarah? I would say, first of all, don't feel like you have to have all the answers or everything figured out to reach out to me. Like if you're struggling, well, I think this is an issue, but I'm not sure how to present it to my child with that context. I can probably be helpful with that. Also, sometimes they don't know if they need a coach. Maybe they need a therapist. Maybe they need something else. And so consultations are free. I'm happy to you know, help them out because I want the right kids to find me. That's the most important thing to me at the end of the day. So don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach out through caddywampus.com. There's a free consultation. You could just fill out a few things. I'll contact you and we can talk it out. And then if we need a separate Kind of intro with your student, that's fine. Also, don't worry about how they show up because I can handle all that. I've taught middle schoolers forever, right? <laughs> and I guess Instagram, Instagram's kind of my main place. So I'm doing a, a TAD talk actually on executive function, basically, you know, how to manage like those big emotions so that you're not getting stuck or overwhelmed in those big asks in the classroom, like when big projects come up and things like that. So they're not melting down. What is a TAD talk? A TAD talk. So a TAD talk is, so ADA, which is the Attention Deficit Disorder Association around this time of year, has different like experts come on and talk about different things. And this year, executive function is the overarching topic. And so they asked me to come and do that. And so that'll be released in the next month, but I'll probably release something on Instagram that will announce when it's actually going to go live. So they do a series of those. Sometimes I do Instagram live with my sister, who is also a coach. She coaches women, neurodivergent women. And, you know, we do it remotely so we can kind of work with people all over, which is pretty cool. Those would be the two main places to find me. And I'm always kind of doing something different. I love to be creative. I feel like this, I'm able to be creative with this. And so I will do 
like I said, most of my stuff through Instagram. I've done different talks here and there with different organizations. So that's where I'm going to announce them is on there. My website has all about me, has all about my experience. It has frequently asked questions. So you can do a little deep dive. I try to give everybody, even down to how much it costs, everything they need to know on my website. I'm not a fan of having to call somebody as being a neurodivergent person. We'll avoid phone calls at <laughs> all costs um, as far as you know, making doctor's appointments and things like that. So everything you could ever want to know is actually on my website and just flip through the tabs. Even some of my art's on there, but you don't have to look at that. And you can see all about me, what my heart is, what my experience is, and what the sessions are, how I do it, how much they cost, and all of that. Because I think upfront is just the best way. And then for our podcast listeners, we'll post that website, we'll post that Instagram handle, because obviously Caddy Wampus has a fun spelling that we'll want to make sure we get out there for you guys and it'll be easier than me spelling it out on, <laughs> on the podcast. So we'll post that for our listeners. Sarah, it's been really wonderful having you and it was so nice to meet you. Um, I always love to meet Kanji's friends. It's part of the fun of this podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. I just, yeah, I love these kids. So send me your kids. Yes. And Sarah, our kids love you. Thank you. Whew. I have to just breathe after that conversation with Sarah. She posted something on her social media page a couple of days ago. It was a quote and it said, your teen needs to be seen not fixed by you. Mm. And that just hit me so deep. Yeah. Because um, just ha hearing her talk and knowing who she is and the services that she offers, it just, it just makes sense that she would be a coach, right? Like it just makes sense that she has all of this knowledge and she is using it. And she's just a lifelong educator. She's just so, she's so great. She's so great. That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, and I loved, you know, two things. The, the first thing is I've shared here that middle school is currently my favorite season of parenthood. I also feel like I really just love my kid at this age. So it's kind of fun, like to hear a teacher that was really into it too. But I think the thing that she put into words that, is important to me, but I don't know if I've ever heard it said so well, is that instead of, you know, giving my kid things he needs to know how to do, helping him develop his own inner voice so that when he's away from me, when he's out on his own, he knows he can trust what's inside him. He's not listening to somebody else's voice. Right. I loved it. Yes. And I like that she has this service that if there are parents who think that their kids could benefit mm -hmm. from having coaching mm -hmm. because we all have coaches in different yeah. aspects of our life. Absolutely. You, know, you and I, we started out, I was your coach. That's right. Um, That's how this relationship <laughs> began. That's right. That's it. You know, we, we have coaches for nutrition and mm -hmm. for fitness. And some of us have life coaches or yeah. career coaches. Businesses. Yeah. Businesses. I think maybe if your kid might benefit from having a coach, consider reaching out to Caddy Wampus and Sarah and, and the service that she offers. I think it's a phenomenal service. The other thing that Sarah said that resonated with me is if you even consider or suspect that your child is neurodivergent, mm -hmm. dig deeper, yes. you know, learn more, educate yourself, get the necessary testing and kind of just be a partner with your kid on this journey. And that's going to be something that my husband and I do with Roman. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to put all of her information into the show notes as well as on our social posts. So you can find her at Caddy Wampus. 
And as a good side note, she does virtual sessions. So you can be anywhere. And I love that her service is spread so far. So anybody that's listening to this, if you've got the ability to be on a virtual session, then you can absolutely use her services. Yeah, please do. And make sure that you remember that just reach out on her website and the consultation is free. Mm-hmm. Um, and then l- keep us posted if you do reach out to Sarah at Caddy Wampus. And if you do engage her services, let us know in one of our social media accounts and uh, reach out to me and Tara because we would love to keep posted on you and your children and how they are doing in this somewhat sometimes wild, wild world. (laughs) While you're checking out the show notes, make sure that you're following us on all of your favorite listening platforms. We love reaching out and speaking to you every week and we want to make sure you don't miss any episodes. So make sure you're following us. If you haven't reviewed us, please leave us some notes there. We read every single one of them and we love them. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you again next week. And we love you. We thank you for taking the time each and every week to check in with us and to be a part of our family. With that being said, Tara and I are going to sign off. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Take good care, podcast family. I can't think of one teacher that my kid would want to stay in school for. This is the one. (laughs) So Sarah, welcome to the conversation. Hi. Well, that's a great way to come in. (laughs) I love hearing that. (laughs) Well, we didn't know you had joined us, Sarah. We were just recording ahead of time. (laughs) I just came in and I'm I'm thinking, okay, what are they talking about? Oh, and then I'm like, oh, shoot, this is all good. I love it. it. Well, welcome. What a surprise. conversation. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. We're going to do a sound check. Is that it? Joy's pointing to me, so hold so, on one second. Sarah, thank you so much, by the way, for the kind words as well. Is there something you'd want to say? Maybe as an extra segment? Or if you want to tell a story of something Roman did in the classroom. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Okay, can I answer something about Roman and kind of touch on the diversity thing? Absolutely. Okay. Have y'all ever talked about Jetpack Boy on here? No, we have not. No, we have not. Wait, Tara, <laughs> Tara do you know what Jetpack Boy is? No. Uh-oh. <laughs> So one of the things that you had asked about is like why I try to make sure that my kids get diverse experiences and why that's important to me. So I think I can kind of fold that into the story and when Roman started talking to me about that. All right, please tell us more. Okay. So first of all, for my own children, diverse experiences, being exposed to all kinds of cultures and people and backgrounds is extremely important to me because the world is diverse. And I have always had this really centered, fixed value on honoring the collective. I don't know if it was from my mother or my father. I'm not really sure both, but it's always been something that I'm like in, you know, this individualism, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm all about the, who we show up as individuals in this collective and, and, and keeping the collective in mind has always been really a big passion of mine. And I'm always interested in hearing about how, you know, other parents are doing that. And I know what I've done in different areas, but when I had Roman um, in sixth grade and we were doing a project, we were filming some different things. And Roman was very, very quiet when he first came in, very quiet. And he had some things going on. He was, you know, just kind of adapting. We had masks on, so it was kind of, you know, I mean, it was sixth grade. It was, it was kind of a, a weird time. But all of a sudden, we, we were doing this um, play, and we were he, he just started lighting up. There was the play with the dialogue. He just 
it was like a Christmas tree in the corner. It was just totally lit up. And so he started talking about, well, he started asking me every day, oh, we've got a, I need another play. We need to do another play. We need to do this. We need to do that. And then we started talking about these different things. And he talked to me about, he said, well, I did this thing called Jetpack Boy. And I was like, okay. And so he was telling me about how when he was little, he did not see any brown superheroes. And he was upset about that. And that his dad decided to create this experience for him and create Jetpack Boy. And so, you know, honestly, when when he was talking about this, I was thinking, well, first of all, that's really cool that his dad made this video, right? Where, where he was Jetpack Boy. I had no idea what I was about to see. I was definitely thinking something like on an iPhone or whatever, you know, even though it was a little while ago. And <laughs> he, he shows me this video. So, so his dad, you know, uh, sets up where, you know, he, he has an adversary. There are special effects. There's costumes. There, there is, um, you know, this whole storyline where he actually embodied a hero. And then his dad, you know, put in these, these, all of these different things to make it real and to make it, you know, like I said, real, alive. And it meant so much to him. And then he shared it with us. And of course, we were beside ourselves. I mean, he shared it with the whole class. We, we, we just, I couldn't believe it. I, I remember just thinking the, the degree to which this father went to show up for his child, because, you know, his father is white, to honor, to honor that and to honor that need. I just felt it moved me in a way that, that I, I've, I don't think many stories have. And because of that, I had said at some point, if his dad allowed, maybe we would do a sequel, you know, out in the field <laughs> with all the other students. And I think there was a couple of different videos, but the way the other students cheered and just embraced it and thought it was so beautiful. And I thought it, it's just fun and amazing. And Roman was felt so seen and loved through that experience, obviously, because he was sharing it, but just what a great testament that was to all the other kids in the class. And I just remember feeling like, really impressed and really moved. I just thought it was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being that safe space because Roman never shared that with any of his other teachers, you know, oh. and it wasn't until he was in sixth grade where he had a teacher with whom he felt comfortable and with whom he felt loved and safe that he was able to open it up. And that's who you are. And that's that space that you created for our son. And that's the void you left behind. Um, and, you know, you and I have spoken about this, that you are the only teacher, I think, who connected with him in that way. And we think about educating our kids. It's not the schools they go to. It's not the school system and how well they're rated. It's the teachers that they have and the impact that they will make on our kids good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. Um, and you, Sarah, made a really good impact on a lot of kids, a really good impact. So I hope you hear my heart when I say thank you. I, I'm going to sit in that for a second because I'm feeling a little emotional because it, it was- <laughs> Sarah, are they up in here crying in this room? Just so you know, <laughs> Joey's crying, Tara's crying, our puppy, he's on the floor Let's crying. all sit in it, Sarah. Let's all sit in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was such a hard decision and I love those kids and it was such a taxing hard situation to be in and 
you know, I toiled over it for a long time and I just, um, I just, yeah, I just, that means, it just means the world to me. <laughs> so thank you. I can't imagine how difficult and challenging it was because you were teaching in such a difficult time for these kids who some of them were virtual and some of them were not. And there were so many issues with wearing masks in class or not and and kind of that in the politics around everything. Um, and, and I've shared with you before how Roman being one of the few black students in, in the school and in the school, in the area where he lived, some of his challenges and teachers who made assumptions that he wasn't a gifted and talented student, right? It's like, Roman, why are you getting up to go, to go to the gifted and talented room? And it's like, well, he is a gifted and talented kid, but you just connect with the kids. You lead with grace and you lead with your heart and, um, and you made them all matter. And that's kind of just your superpower. So Roman's superpower was he was Jetpack Boy. Your superpower is that you are just an incredible adult who gets it with these young kids. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. So let's revisit this. Yes. And let's think about what week we will do the Jetpack Boy sequel starring three middle-aged women. <laughs> We're ready. We are ready. Tara, what should her superhero name be? Oh, God, I don't know. So Sarah, just so you know, Tara is obsessed with Wonder Woman. True story. So she gonna come all dressed up. <laughs> She's been waiting for this. This is her this moment. Is my moment to shine. She gonna be wearing like she probably still has some Superwoman underwear. I mean, if we want to go Marvel, I could go Captain Marvel too. We got options.